Doug and Claudia are a part of our church family. Doug is a pastor, a professional counselor, and he's got a lot of initials after his name that I'm not even sure what those mean. As a mental health practitioner, where do your thoughts go in regard to our current situation? Our social distancing, closures, stay at home, et cetera, et cetera. I've long thought that one of the enemy's ploys is to separate us and isolate us. Uh, isolation and division seems to be the mainstay of, of whatever he does, and I think this, you know, plays into that. But in, in some respects, though, you know, some people say, you know, I feel like I'm going insane. In some respects, I think we are collectively going sane because we are recognizing how important are things that we took for granted and frankly had been separated from just because of the nature of our culture, our air-conditioned homes and our cars and our computers and our screens and our smartphones had kept us apart from one another. And it's almost like we're being schooled that you really want this? Because now that you can't be together and hug each other and touch each other and be in community, we really, really recognize how significant that is and we really need it. You know, I think of oxytocin, which is one of the four chemicals that helps us feel good, and it's a bonding agent that occurs uh, through safe touch and safe smiles and kind eyes and kind conversations and hugs and things like that. And we're, we're lacking so much and much of that. So I think however we can restore that in our creativity uh, to connect again with people, and it does take a lot of creativity in these times. And I think that takes possibility thinking rather than concentrating on all that we can't do now and all that we've lost is, okay, what can we do? You know, what, what were we longing to have a few weeks of downtime uh, to get done? Well... Here it is. <laughs> and so what we've really done is we, we're creating a new balance. We're discovering a new balance. The old isn't there anymore. Uh, and we, we have the opportunity to really take initiative and form that new balance, schedule ourselves, so this uh, precious time doesn't just get whittled away and be creative in reaching out to others. Doug, as we talked earlier this week, um, there's so many different layers to this for so many different people, and, yeah. and it's, it's sometimes it's hard to get out of our own selves um, and look at other people, that, what they're experiencing. Some live alone, some um, are caring for young kids at foot while they're trying to work, some are, mm -hmm. some are caring for their senior parents. Um, we have high school students that are losing out on their, their senior year, or college students, no graduations, and so this affects um, us differently in different ways. Um, how would you advise? How would you advise the things and, and for people in this particular situation? Yeah, and that's kind of the second thing that came to mind with respect to the virus. Is the isolation is the first thing, but the second one is we are now thrown together <laughs> in this kind of homebound situation often, and that balance is thrown off. One of the human needs that we have is to belong and to have a community, but another need is to have time alone and time together. And there's a balance to that, and it's a different balance for different people. That's one of the challenges that couples and families face, is different persons need different amounts of time alone and different amounts together. And so to be sensitive to one another, I think the name of the game is really consideration and trying to give opportunity, space, place for people to, to be alone if they need to be, to be considered as we now share all the time and space, food, kitchen, TV viewing, music, 
all of that uh, to be considered toward one another. And that's where getting outside is, outside is still open. And thankfully we're in spring and it's beautiful many days. So I've never seen so many people in the parks and walking, uh, even taking advantage of getting in the car to just get some alone time if need be. Someone says we've become a lot like dogs. You know, we wander around the house looking for food. If we get too close to a stranger, we're told no. And we all live for a ride in the car. You know, we're like dogs, but, but it is a good escape uh, to be able to do that. So, yeah. what, what is our, um, our faith in Christ to offer us during this time? Yeah, you, you know, one of the things that with respect to um, anxiety, depression, even suicidal ideation, and many mental, mental disorders are complicated by isolation, but that's one of the, the things that we sing about and we talk about is the presence of Christ within us. And that's not just a theological idea, that's a reality, to know that we're not alone. Now, he doesn't replace human interaction. The one another's in scripture can't come except by human community, but he is with us. And so one of the gifts, in all of those anxiety disorders, depression, all those kinds of things, is having a safe person to talk with. Well, we have the safest person <laughs> to talk with. So I, I don't want to say just pray, but it isn't just. It's communing with, with the holy. Uh, and especially as we pray for others. You know, I have a, a website in which I've tried to put some helpful things, uh, soulcouncil.wordpress.com. And one of the things it has on there is a total person filter. And as we're praying for others like those who have lost loved ones and can't have a funeral, who are planning weddings that have been canceled, who are living alone, is to really pray about them, for them, in all the different aspects of their life. And that's what that total person filter is. It takes us out of ourself. It helps us. It lifts up us up. It lifts them up. The Spirit brings creativity to us. You know, I think of worship songs as well. I mean, music is a wonderful thing. It helps uh, feed the soul. And we have something worthy to sing about. You know, we, I think we all recognize the difference between Christian music that where we're singing about and two, uh, that which is worthy as compared to just singing lyrics that often make no sense at all. Uh, this fills our life and our soul. Uh, scripture, uh, Right Now Media, which is on the, the homepage of Hillcrest, which a lot of people have to pay for and is available free to anybody who goes on Hillcrest's website. Wonderful things to view. Um, and just taking advantage of the, also the fruit of the spirit. You know, these are times that can be depressing and, and, you know, downward spiraling. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, which goes beyond mere happiness, you know, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we always need that in spades, and we need it now. And he will give that to us. He is our source. Uh, we talk about deep breathing a lot in counseling to, to calm anxiety and things like that. And there's spiritual breathing where we can exhale that which is of the flesh and you know, of the enemy and inhale that which is of the spirit. And just, you know, I receive what you have to offer the Lord. I, I, you know, exhale and I get rid of that which the enemy is trying to put in me. And to, you know, just many of those spiritual exercises. Dory Brown has a lot of those things to offer in her courses here as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Doug, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, pray with me, please. As we sang, let, my, let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and the winds still know his name. Jesus, help us remember to trust you, to call on your name, to invite you in every part of our lives. We will fully understand one day what we truly have in you. Until then, help us trust you and love you more. Please be with Brad as he gives the sermon. Just bless, bless our church family and, and those that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, uh, 
uh, Hillcrest Church. This is my, uh, the end of my first month here as your interim pastor. I'm Brad, Pastor Brad Bergfalk. And uh, <clears throat> I'm living in the church house across the parking lot. And um, uh, it's a big house, so I get a rumble around in it with my wife. And uh, we, have no, we don't know who our neighbors are. And uh, we have no friends. Uh, a few of you have called up and said, hey, can we talk to you over the back fence? And we said, yeah, that, okay, please, that, please do that. But I was noticing our neighbor, speaking of dogs, um, they, they have this really delightful dog, well-behaved. And every time I walk by a certain set of windows in my house, I see the dog just sitting there quietly, like almost, almost uh, like it's looking intently at something. And I, I, I kept thinking, man, maybe it's time for us to get a dog or something to, you know, mix things up uh, a little bit. And as it turns out, one day I walked by and I stopped and I looked more intently and the dog was a, a statue. So, you know, even, even then, he, uh, a statue has now become my best friend here in uh, Hillcrest. Anyway, uh, to begin, we are still in this series of sermons uh, that we're calling This Is Us. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to touch on a couple of pa- uh, portions of that chapter, not all of it. If you have the opportunity at some point to read all of Ephesians chapter 4, you'll have a better idea of the context from which I'm gleaning what, what I hope are uh, inspiring ideas. Um, but as we think about Ephesians 4, I'm reminded of a, a number of years ago now when our family took an obligatory vacation to the Shrine of the Mouse. You know, you know what that is, right? That's Disney World. And um, being, a, being a big kid myself, if it's not already o- obvious to you, I spent weeks before we were about to take this vacation sort of building up all the rides and, and describing in great detail Pirates of the Caribbean and, and Space Mountain and all of the other cool rides. I didn't know it at the time, but I was creating an impossible expectation that neither Disney World nor I would be able to meet in the minds of my children. I, I, was, I was setting them up for disappointment. When the day finally arrived and we got in our car and drove to Disney World from our hotel. My kids were more excited than I have ever seen them before, and we had our strategy all figured out. This was a few years before Disney introduced that, 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 that line uh, system that they use now, and we were going to go all the way to the back of the park first and then make our way back to the front because that's exactly opposite with uh, what most people did when they, when they uh, rushed into Disney for the first uh, day. And uh, as we were waiting in line for my favorite ride, the ride that I probably had talked up more than any ride, uh, the Tower of Terror, uh, we were were waiting in line uh, compliantly and quietly, and and my youngest son uh, looked at a sign that was standing right by the line, and he said, "Uh, Daddy, what is that? And I quickly glanced at the sign, and I realized that that was a height restriction sign. I looked at my son, I looked at the sign, and my heart at that moment sunk. He wasn't tall enough to ride the Tower of Terror. When I told him, his his lower lip 
began, began to quiver. And I could see he was trying to hold back his tears of disappointment. I, I tried to explain to them that there were, there were many other great rides at Disney World, and, and one day he might be able to come back and, and ride this ride, but it, it didn't matter so much. My heart broke as his mother and he stepped out of line. And as they were walking away, my son turned to me and he said, Daddy, when am I going to be grown up enough? And I smiled and I said, soon. You'll be grown up enough soon. So today, uh, if that same son was here, you would see that he was six feet tall, lean like an athlete, and if he heard that I was telling this story, he would probably laugh. So he has grown up. But, it's, but this question, Daddy, when, when will I be growing up enough, is a question that I want for us to ponder today. As we look at Ephesians chapter 4, when will we be growing up is the question that Paul's essentially asking in this chapter. Ephesians 4 marks sort of a significant shift for Paul in Paul's understanding of our identity in Christ. Uh, he spent the first half of the book of Ephesians essentially stating the, the, the facts about our identity. We are adopted in Christ. We are called in Christ. We are heirs, and you've heard me talk about this. Last week, Nicole suggested that uh, the mystery of the gospel is that we find our salvation and our unity in Christ. So today I want for us to consider for a moment what our identity actually looks like as we seek to live that out in the world. In chapter 4, Paul points out that the character of the Christian life is a life that's growing that's maturing, that's increasingly reflecting the values of God's kingdom. Someone has said this, discovering our maturity in Jesus Christ takes place when we align our lives with the kingdom and are faithful to that calling. I couldn't agree more. Yet the question that remains is, how do we do this? How, how, how do we align our lives in a way that uh, we begin to grow into spiritual maturity. What steps can we take to begin this process? For Paul, the answer is pretty straightforward. We just simply need to continue to grow in our maturity in Christ. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love. So the first mark of Christian maturity for Paul is living a life that is worthy of God's calling, right here at first one, right at, right at the outset. I mean, when we talk about spiritual maturity, we often measure it uh, the same way that we measure a lot of things in our lives. We quantify it. We attribute units of measure to it. We create assessments to help us determine if we are spiritually mature or not and what we need to do to get there. We describe spiritual maturity sometimes and others by, by using a variety of, of metaphors so that we will be able to measure who is spiritual and who is not spiritual, right? That's what we do. We do that all the time. And then we read passages like Ephesians chapter 4 and we say, if I can just figure out how God has gifted me, then I can live into my, my spiritual maturity. The more we know 
translates into the more mature we become, right? Unfortunately, how much we know doesn't always translate into being spiritually mature. All that does is make you know it all. Spiritual maturity has a lot more to do with how we live. And as Paul states that living a life that is worthy of God's calling. Spiritual maturity has more to do with what God is doing on the inside of us than whatever appearance we may be projecting on the outside. When I was in seminary, I played on the seminary basketball team. And you would think to yourself, oh, you know, that must have been nice. That, that must have been a pushover for all of the other uh, college and university intramural teams. But seminarians, even though we're kind of sleepy, nerdy, study a lot in seminary, you get a bunch of us on a basketball court, and some of us can really become animals. In fact, we had a guy on our team who, uh, um, I'm going to call him Bob, who who was sort of the epitome of this. He was a great guy. He was probably one of the funnest guys to be around in the seminary. You put him on a basketball court, and he was devious, and he, was, he took cheap shots, and he did all the stuff that you would expect people to do, except for the fact that they're in seminary training to be a pastor. The true character of a person sometimes comes out when we find ourselves either in athletic competition or under some kind of stress. So the question that, that I continue to wrestle with as I uh, reflect on this text is, what does spiritual maturity actually look like? One of the marks of spiritual maturity is the quiet confidence that God's in control without the need to understand why God does what God does. Paul suggests that our, our, our maturity is centered in living a life that is, that's worthy of God's calling. And, and then he goes on to describe what that kind of life looks like. He says, a life worthy of God's calling is a life that reflects, here it comes, humility. Humility, one of the marks of spiritual maturity. I know right now that as you hear me say that, and even as I hear myself say that, you're thinking, Brad, couldn't you have started with a different uh, idea? That's really hard. Humility is the recognition that we do not deserve what we have. We do not deserve what we've been given, nor do we need to, to, to prove to anybody else that we are worthy of those good gifts that God gives us. Every time our pride and accomplishment or our ego begins to tap us on the shoulder and say, way to go, you saved that business deal. Or wow, you could have torn that person up one side and down the other in that argument, but you held your tongue. Nice. Humility reminds us that our strength of character, our, our restraint, our ability to act with principle in any given situation is because of the work that God is, is doing in us, even now. So whether we lack humility or present some sort of a facade of false humility, the outcome really is the same. We, we are not exhibiting a life that's worthy of God's calling, the mark of which is, according to Paul, true humility. So if you want to know what Christian maturity actually looks like, ask yourself, am I reflecting this kind of character of humility? 
And if being humble isn't hard enough for most of us, Paul goes on to list a number of other characteristics of the spiritually mature person, which includes things like this, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love. He's just piling it on. So what does spiritual maturity look like? It recognizes that those characteristics that I've just stated are also part of the, of the character of the Christian's life. What we, what we do matches who we are in Christ. Spiritual maturity treats others, says Paul, with, with gentleness, whether that person deserves it or not. Spiritual maturity is patient with those who drive us crazy. And, and I know that we're only a couple weeks into this uh, uh, shelter at home, um, but I'm pretty sure that there are many of us who are struggling with a member of our family right now who is driving us crazy. And that's where we have an opportunity to express this kind of spiritual maturity of humility and patience. And spiritual maturity hangs in there even when we're ready to sort of give up. Spiritual maturity, ultimately, Paul says, carries other people's pain. Because that's what Jesus did with us. The, the Holy Week that we're about to embark on is a perfect time for us to be reminded that sort of at the core of Jesus' ministry is his willingness to bear our pain. In verses 3 through 5, Paul describes Christian maturity in another way. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. In these verses, Paul is essentially saying that Christian maturity is most evident in our relationships with others as we make every effort in those relationships, to, to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, we can exhibit humility and gentleness and patience, and we can bear one another's pain all we want in a vacuum, but if we fail to exhibit those same kind of characteristics with people who are difficult to live with or be around, then we have missed the point entirely. And you know, one of the places where I have learned all of these characteristics in my life, and I'm still working on many of them, if not all of them, as you are, is not in the church. It's not in the midst of all of the activities of the church where God uh, begins to refine our, our, our character, where God begins to do the work of growing us into this kind of spiritual maturity is in the tussle and the bustle of life out there. That's where God's doing his work. And it will not surprise me when I say to you that's sometimes the hardest place for us to exhibit some of these characteristics. I don't know how to say this other than as directly as I'm about to say it, but the, if our behavior in one way or another is not contributing to this one Lord, one faith, one baptism unity that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, then we may need to take a few minutes or maybe hours or days or, or weeks 
depending on the distance we need to travel, to realign ourselves with God's kingdom values. What I think Paul is saying about Christian maturity in a nutshell is this. The purpose of becoming a mature Christian is not so that we can somehow brag that we have reached some pinnacle of faith from which we can peer over our glasses at all the other people that haven't got here yet. The purpose of Christian maturity is so that the church of Jesus Christ has a unified witness in the world. So the reason we do this is so that the people who are watching us can say, what is it about them? I believe in my heart of hearts that in this strange time of uh, coronavirus, the church will be revealed for what the church actually is. Those churches who exist for themselves will become obvious if they haven't already. And those churches that exist for others, that reflect the kind of character that Paul is talking about in this chapter of Ephesians, they will be revealed for who they really are. And Hillcrest Church, I, I, I think we have this amazing opportunity to be the church during these anxious times. Or we can just keep up appearances or, and we can make it look like we're the church and hope that this sort of all blows by so we can just keep on doing the same old, same old thing. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In a few weeks, most of us are going to receive a check from the United States government. I think they're calling it a stimulus check. Then the intent, of, of course, is that when we get that check, we use it to cover some of the costs that many of us are facing right now that we weren't prepared to face. And for, for many of us who are watching this service today, this stimulus check will help us meet some of those basic necessities, uh, and, and we should use it for that purpose. For some of us, however, we don't need this check. We are in positions where it doesn't matter one way or another whether we get a couple thousand dollars uh, in the mail in the next few weeks. And, and those of us who need this relief, we should use it because it's going to help us. But what if, what if God is giving the rest of us the opportunity to use a portion or all of this unexpected stimulus money to be the church? What if? What would happen if those who don't really need the stimulus give it away to help those continue to survive who need the assistance? What if our true spiritual maturity was revealed in our, to our community because we gave away tens of thousands of dollars to stimulate generosity in this time of need? What if? If you sense God calling you, nudging you, if you find yourself getting a little mad right now because what I've just said has, has sort of forced you to rethink about uh, the vacation you were planning to take with your uh, stimulus check, it's okay. But what if God is calling us to witness to our maturity in Christ through this act of generosity, Hillcrest? Well, we have taken the time as a staff to sort of uh, 
identify three specific areas of ministry that we will distribute any funds that you decide to contribute to people who are affected most by this uh, coronavirus pandemic. So if God is prompting you to give, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you, I want to offer you the opportunity to do that. And all you need to do is wherever and however you decide to make that gift, please indicate stimulus offering on that check or on that, in that box on our website, and, and 100% of your money is going to go to assist people who need it, and thereby Hillcrest Church can, can witness to the power of God and our generosity during this time. The three areas that we have dedicated or decided to sort of dedicate uh, your stimulus gift are, one, our refugee ministry. A high percentage of the refugee families that have been engaged with Hillcrest for the past few years have lost their jobs due to the coronavirus epidemic, and, we, and, and they find themselves in desperate need for help with food and diapers and other basic necessities, and we want to continue to help them do that. So that's the first place. The second place is the New Community Covenant Church, which we have partnered with along with the uh, conference, the Midwest Conference, and they serve in a, in a region of our city uh, called the Ivanhoe neighborhood where uh, there are a lot of needs. And we want to be able to uh, call their pastor and leaders up and say, how can we help? The third uh, area that we've designated is the Briarwood Elementary School. We, as many of you know, we have this long-standing relationship with the Briarwood Elementary, uh, and it's just a few blocks from Hillcrest Church. Your gifts will allow us, as a church, to provide additional funding for increased needs of Briarwood families as determined by the school social worker. She'll tell us what they need, how much, and we will we'll write them a check. You see, our identity in Jesus Christ has implications on how we live as followers of Jesus. And the truth is that there's still room for all of us to grow up. Those who understand this will begin to exhibit the character of spiritual maturity that is reflected in humility and patience and love and long-suffering and generosity. These are the marks of a person whose identity has been shaped by the mystery of Christ, says Paul. These are the marks of a church that desires to extend the good news of the gospel into their community. Perhaps this leads you this morning to ask the question, what do I need to do to grow up? What steps can I take right now that will begin to lead me down this path of Christian maturity rather than the path that I've kind of been wandering on uh, all these years or months, whatever the case? So here are some uh, three practical steps uh, before I uh, wrap this up that I want to offer you as places for us to begin in this path of spiritual maturity. Uh, the first step is speak truthfully. Telling the truth is part of Paul's solution to becoming spiritually mature. To, to be truthful in our relationship with one another requires us to let go of our need to be seen as perfect and allowing ourselves and, and others to see our imperfections. Telling the truth is hard when it means that we must confess our own complicity in something when we would rather sort of brush it under the rug. 
Sometimes we prefer only to tell part of the truth so we don't look so bad. The American, the great American theologian, Stephen Colbert, calls this kind of truth, truthiness. It's, it's where we capture part of the truth that works to our advantage, but not, it's not all the truth. We live in a culture that is more concerned with truthiness than telling the truth. So the first thing that I encourage us to do on our path of spiritual maturity is begin to tell the truth. The second is act usefully. Act usefully. Paul says if you've been stealing, stop. Do something useful with your hands. If you're trapped in a cycle of sin that you can do something about, then do something about it. Don't pretend that your life has been transformed uh, by the power of the gospel and keep on doing stupid stuff. Stop. Get help. Get, a, get into a treatment program. Confide in someone who can, who can help you. Act usefully. And then finally, love genuinely. The final practice of spiritual maturity is, is learning how to love to have compassion. And, and genuine love is kind and compassionate and forgiving. It's not selfish. It's not manipulative. It's not controlling. Genuine love requires us to give others the benefit of the doubt when they don't live up to our expectations. I can always tell when people understand genuine love because their lives in a really wonderful way, reflect that they understand that they have already been recipients of God's love and forgiveness. You see, that's the basis from which we can offer this. If you read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, you will note that Paul has a long list of exhortations and prohibitions of things that we should do and some other things that we shouldn't do. And, and I, I think that Paul offers us this long list, and I'm not going to go into any more detail about that list, because I think Paul knows when it comes right down to it that none of us can actually measure up to all of these uh, behavioral uh, um, characteristics that reflect the life of a mature uh, spiritual follower of Jesus. In a sense, there's always going to be a sign that comes along and asks us to step out of the line. Every one of us. In fact, there are some participating in our worship this morning for whom you've spent your entire life in obeying all the rules, waiting for your turn, and now you find your world turned absolutely upside down, and it's very troubling to you because the world isn't turning out the way that you thought it did. Or for some of you right now, what started out as a really interesting experiment of social distancing with the kids at home while you're trying to do your job, it's beginning to wear a little thin, isn't it? For others of you, this period of time that we find ourselves in has been a gut punch. You are flying along, you're getting ready to retire, you're, you're uh, putting all kinds of money away in your 403B or 401K or, or uh, whatever, and you don't know right now whether you're going to have a job, much less money, to retire on when all this is over. There's that sign again. Paul concludes all of this list of markers of spiritual maturity with this injunction. 
Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you want the marks of spiritual maturity to be the marks of your life right now? If so, then begin by by grabbing the hand of the only one who is capable of guiding you through this life's storms, Jesus. And hold on tight and give thanks that in the end, it was never about the ride, but it's always about a Savior who loves us and carries us when we don't have the strength to carry ourselves. This last night, I awakened about, oh, I don't know, 2.30 in the evening. Um, I don't sleep well as I get older. For those of you who are old like me, I'm with you. And I found myself thinking about my sermon and thinking about my kids and listening to my wife sleep and and finding myself getting frustrated because I wasn't. And then I, I, I had this deep sense that God was saying to me in the, in the quietness of laying in bed this morning at 2.30 or so, 3 o'clock, to say, Brad, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Just hold on. And, and the sense that I got was not hold on to my resources, not hold on to the things that I value that have been perhaps misplaced values for a lot of my life, but hold on to me. Brad, hold on to me. So I want to encourage you today, um, if you are facing the challenges of uh, the coronavirus with anxiety and uh, fear and frustration, or maybe all those things, hold on. Hold on to Jesus and allow Jesus to guide you perhaps out of the line that you have spent your life waiting in to a better line, to a better life, to a better ride, if you will. And I can think of a ne- no better place for us to begin our, 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 our journeys of spiritual maturity than by accepting Jesus' invitation to the Lord's Supper uh, this morning. And as we prepare to receive the gifts of God for the people of God today, I know that it may be the first time that many of you have received the Lord's Supper sitting in your living room watching your pastor uh, do the words of institution. I I got news for you. This is the first time in over 30 years that I've ever done this. But this this is what the Lord's Supper is about. The bread and the cup represent God's faithfulness and God's relentless desire to have a relationship with us. No matter who we are, no matter how young or old, rich or poor, we are all imperfect people who need God now more than ever. And as you share the Lord's Supper with one another, whomever is sitting in the room with you this morning, let's affirm our desire to grow up into Jesus, to grow up into Christ. And as you consume the bread, breathe a prayer of thanks to God for being patient with you, for for being compassionate with you, for having long-suffering with you. And and kids, if you don't know the meaning of any of these words that I just used, they're they're $10 church words, I I understand. Just ask your parents and they'll, they'll tell you what they mean. And as you drink from your cup, 
Remember that the cup represents the loving sacrifice of Jesus. And that, that you and I no longer have to carry the guilt of our own bad behavior. When you are finished drinking the cup, say out loud to one another. Or if you're alone, say it to yourself. Thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I look forward to the day when we can share the Lord's Supper together again in person, and I anticipate that that day will come sooner than later. But until then, be encouraged to grow up into Jesus Christ, who is at work in your life and in the people's lives sitting around you in that room, wherever you are right now. Will you uh, bow your head and pray with me as we pray our prayer of confession, and then we hear the words of institution. Let's pray. We are sorry, God. Hear our repentance for our wayward handling of life. We have squandered time, we've hoarded money, we've avoided challenges, we've used others. We have born waiting grievously, illness stubbornly, trials reluctantly, and responsibility half-heartedly. We have doubted your care, we've mistrusted your providence, we've distorted your power, and we've ignored your love. We have neglected our discipleship, we've injured our relationships, we've sabotaged our fellowship, and we have underrated your forgiveness. Forgive us now, we pray, and let us try again, this time being sensitive to your spirit and committed to your will. Amen.